welcome this weekend. Glad you're here. I want to take just a minute and welcome those of you who are joining us from uh, an off-site campus or on the internet or podcast, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you have chosen to join us this weekend uh, also. A great weekend it already is. Now, let, let me ask you a question. How, how many of you have ever um, gotten out of town and you've taken a walk at night on a really clear night and were just astounded by the clarity of the stars? I mean, they just anybody else done that or is that just me? A few weeks ago, I was uh, with a group of guys, probably about an hour, hour and a half from here, we were actually walking just a block off of the beach. And we were going to get something to eat. And it was one of those nights. I mean, it was amazing. It was just absolutely beautiful. It just kind of stuck out. And I almost tripped the whole group of leaders from Europe. Can you believe that? Because I'm stopping, just kind of looking at the lights and, you know, just, just uh, astounded by the whole thing. Well, what, here, here's a question I want to ask you. What makes stars at night like that stand out so brightly? What, what is it? Why, why can't we see it in the city sometimes? I would say it's because of the contrast, right? There's there, less clutter, less ambient light, whatever. And there's a, there's a contrast between the darkness when it's the darkest and the, you know, the, the light or the brightness uh, of, of, the, of the stars. There's such a sharp contrast. Well, we're studying through Philippians and we're in Philippians chapter 2. And in today's study, God wants us to have that bright star effect. He wants the contrast between who we are and the world around us to be so sharp and to be so bright that it astounds, literally astounds people as they kind of see our attitudes and how we react to things and, and who, who we are. It's noticeable and it might even cause some to stumble or stop and stare. In fact, the key verse uh, for this weekend is found in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. If you have an outline sheet, you've got it there. Or you can see it on the screen. Or if you have a Bible, you can uh, kind of follow along. Or if you have you know, a Bible on your phone, you can go to uh, Uversion and, um, and look it up. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. Let me read it to you. It says that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Say that last phrase with me. Shine like stars in the universe. That's God's will for you and I. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about it because Paul says that there is one thing. Say one thing. One thing. thing. There's one thing that we can do. And if we do that one thing and concentrate on that one thing, then the effect will be that we will shine like stars in the universe. Now, it's going to require some work. It's, it, it's not easy. Uh, it's fairly simple. But everybody in the house this weekend, and those of you who are watching us from an off-site campus, you're going to have to make some changes. But before we talk about the one thing, I want to talk about um, that, that's kind of the what, you know, what we're supposed to do. I want to talk about the why and the how. Because when you know the why, you'll have the motivation. You'll figure out the how, and we can do what God has called us to do and make it, I literally think it can be life-changing for us in our homes, uh, in the workplace, uh, especially in our community. So let's start with the why. Why should I care? Why should I want to 
you know, work real hard? Why should I want to make some changes? Why should I even care about what we're going to talk about this weekend? It's found in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to circle the word therefore. Therefore. Because motivation is in the therefore. Motivation to change, motivation to be different, motivation to make progress is in the therefore. Always when you see a therefore, check out what happens before the therefore. You understand what I'm saying? We need to know what happened before the therefore. Tony Campalo in one of his books uh, talks about a couple of friends who were riding a train. I don't even know where it was. They were riding a train somewhere, and, and uh, one of the guys had an epileptic seizure. If maybe some of you have experienced that or you've been around that. That can be quite a frightening thing, and it was a pretty serious deal. And, and uh, the one guy actually literally fell into the floor while he was having the seizure. The other guy kind of jumped right to it. He was uh, wiping the sweat off of his friend. And he was ministering to him how he needed to minister. It was obvious he knew what was going on. He apologized to the other passengers as kind of the, the time uh, went by. And after the seizure was over, he actually uh, told a couple of the people around him who were obviously uh, really upset by the situation. He said, you know, sometimes with my friend, this can happen several times a day. One of the passengers asked him, he said, well, you know, it's amazing that you would be a friend and be with him and help you obviously know what's going on. You've been trained a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about your background with him? And he said, sure. He said, you know, we were uh, combat buddies uh, together. And in fact, that's how we met was in the Vietnam War. And he said, we got in a firefight uh, one, one day in, in Vietnam. And uh, it was a devastating thing. Several of our friends were killed. He said that uh, he himself was wounded in his legs and, he, and his friend who had had the epileptic seizure was actually wounded in his shoulder. And he said the helicopters in that particular case never came to pick them up. And so his friend picked him up and began to carry him out. In fact, literally uh, carried him for three and a half days uh, out of the jungle. He was injured himself. He said at, at points he could tell how... Uh, excruciating the pain was for his friend and he literally begged him just put me down we're both going to die here why don't you go and do it yourself and he so he said no i'm not going to do that and he carried him out he said i will be forever grateful to him he said about four years ago i found out that he had this epileptic condition he said so i sold my house and i took what money i had and i came here to take care of him he said after what he did for me. There is nothing that I wouldn't do for him. What a story. What was the motivation for this guy to be with his friend and to help him? The motivation was found in the therefore, in the back story. And so Paul says to us, we need to be shining stars and we're going to need to do one thing. But before we do the one thing, we've got to have the proper motivation. And the motivation is in the therefore. What's the therefore? The therefore is in the, in the previous part of the chapter that Joshua taught in last week. In fact, the last part of that, when it talks about Jesus and what Jesus did for us. Paul says, therefore, because of what Jesus did. And in uh, earlier verses, it says, being in very nature, God. 
He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross, verses 5 through 8. And so that's the therefore. Before we came to Christ, and most of you here this weekend have made that kind of a commitment. You came to Christ. We were like the guy in Vietnam. We were wounded and we were dying because of and in our sins. But Jesus came and He died for us. He gave up everything in heaven for you and for me so that I could have life. He carried us out of the firefight. And because of that, we should do something in response to His sacrifice for us. And what are we supposed to do in response? Last part of that verse said, we're to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I really wanted to teach on this, even though this is not the main kind of point of the message, because that can be kind of a confusing thing. Would you agree with that? Have you ever read that and wondered, what is he talking about? How do you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's break it down. First of all, let's, let's say what he's not saying. He's not saying that working out your salvation means that you earn your salvation. Because these are already believers that he's talking to. In fact, a little bit later in Philippians, he calls them citizens of heaven. And he says that, you know, that, that, uh, that, that by grace that they've been saved. So he, he tells them that they're citizens already. They couldn't work for their salvation because they already had their salvation. So it's not about working for your salvation. And some of you, and some of you who are listening by video right now, some of you grew up in a church that was very much about working for your salvation. You may have grown up in a Catholic church. Or you may have grown up in a, in a Protestant church that very, very much it was about work. You never knew where you stood and it was about work, work, work. And part of the motivation for work was to make sure that you were saved. Anybody relate to that? Make sure that you're going to heaven. You're hoping that you pile up enough good works that there's kind of a scale when you get to heaven. That, you know, the bad stuff and the good stuff. And you're kind of hoping that the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff so that everything's going to be okay. Do you kind of understand that? Some of you are there right now. You're saying, is there something wrong with that? Yes, there is. Because the reason you serve, the reason you do good things, it's a great motivator. It's called guilt. But it's not a long-lasting motivator. And it's not a motivator that will really you know, carry you through the way that God wants you to be carried through. See, you're trying to earn what God has already given if you're a believer. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace. In fact, let's read that together. Is it on the outline sheet? Let's read it out loud. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So that's not what this is about. This is not about working for your salvation. Others of us, you know about working out your salvation with the, the last part of it, with fear and trembling. I was raised in a good church, but there was one little piece, I think, of our theology that we kind of had messed up. We believed that you could get saved 
and very easily lose your salvation. Therefore, I got saved a number of times uh, as a kid. Every time they'd have a revival, I would get saved. And then, and then when I was about in high school, I think, they came out with these movies about the rapture. Anybody else see those, old enough to see those? Uh, there were four of them, A Thief in the Night. I can't remember what some of the others were called. And I, I'm, I'm going to say something here, and I, I'm using the word carefully, and, and I mean it. Uh, and parents, if your kids have problems with it, explain what pastor's trying to say and tell them never to say it. But uh, th- th- those movies were literally to scare the hell out of teenagers, okay? Th- that we would be afraid of Hell, and I mean, it did a good job. I, every time I saw one of those movies, I'd be, I'd be afraid. I'd commit my, recommit my life to Christ. And then, and then a little bit later, uh, you know, maybe it'd be in the middle of the night and it would be very quiet in our house and I would wake up and I'd be thinking about those movies and I would think, I miss the rapture because I'm not living exactly like I should. I think of all of the sin that I've done. And so what I would do is I'd get up very, very quietly and I would sneak into my parents' room and I'd go over to my mother's side of the bed. Because although my father was a preacher, I had great respect for him, I, I wasn't as sure about his rapture readiness as I was my mother. Okay? So I would sneak in, and if my mother was there, it was okay. The rapture had not come. I was not going to have to take the mark of the beast and all that good stuff. And I was working out my salvation with fear and trembling. And that's not what it's about. Okay? God not only saved us from something in the future, eternal damnation, and saved us, you know, to life with Him, but God saved us for something in the here and now. And so let me tell you what working out your salvation means. Working out means to get the most benefit from. The most benefit from. It's the same word uh, for workout that, that you would do when you go to a gym. I went to a gym this week with my wife, Debbie. Debbie very faithfully goes to a gym three times a week. She's got some friends here in the church that they get up at the crack of dawn and they go together. I stay home and I pray for her while she's doing that. I have a membership in that gym. Haven't been in a long time. But this week she invited me to come and so I came. And I watched her work out. I didn't even know exactly how to do this. So I said, could you show me the machines that you do and all this? And she had a little rotation that she went on. And so I'd watch her do like, you know, she'd do three sets of something. And I I watched her do it. And then I'd get on there and I'd put it up for heavier weight because I didn't want her to feel as though her husband was less than what she was. I wanted to show her that I was the protector. And I got on. And I'm telling you what, it nearly tore apart what muscles that I have until finally I got to the last one and I put no weight at all on the deal and felt like I got a really good workout at, at that particular point. But what is the purpose of working out? The purpose of working out theoretically is so that you can get the most from your body. Cardio, you know, so the, the heart gets to pumping good and the muscles do good, so they're toned. And so and it, it even affects, you know, your, the, the, how much weight that you put on and your, calorie into, or your calories are burned fat. I don't know any of that stuff. I just think about it every once in a while. But that's a workout. You, get, you go to the gym to work out to get the most benefit from your body. A farmer works out the field. When we were in northern Illinois, we were in farming country. I, got to know a lot about farms and farmers and dairy cows. 
and they work their field in order to get the most benefit from the harvest. And so here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying as Christians, we must strive to get the greatest potential benefit from our salvation. He's not saying we have to work for our salvation because salvation is by grace through faith. But he says when you're saved, You need to work so that you get the most benefit from it because God has put incredible capacity for good in every one of our lives. There are seeds of greatness in our lives in various areas. And and God wants us to work it out to realize the greatest kingdom capacity for good in each one of us. You know, some people, they come to Christ and they never grow. Oliver Cromwell, a famous English Christian, wrote this in his Bible. He said, he who ceases to be better ceases to be good. Do you agree with that? He who ceases to be better ceases to be good. And so Paul says, you need to work out. The motivation is because of therefore what Jesus has done. You need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not the fear of punishment. It's not the fear of judgment. It's the fear of wounding someone you really care about. The fear of love is not the fear that we may, we may be punished by another person. It's the fear that we may wound the heart of another person. It's more like this. God has trusted me with so much. God has planted within me seeds of lo- love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, great things. God has works that He wants me to do. That before the foundation of the world, He knew the gifts that I would have and He put works that I would make the the world a better place. That the kingdom of God would be expanded. And I don't want to stand before God someday. And when He says, what did you do with what I gave you? I go, well, not much really. Not much. That's fear and trembling. It's working out your salvation, becoming more and more like Jesus as we spend time with Him, as we allow the Holy Spirit to grow the fruit within us. So, how do you do that? How do you make the changes that you need to make? Philippians 2.13, next verse. He says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purposes. You can't do it on your own. That's why this message has very little value for um, someone who hasn't come to Christ. I'll tell you about how you can get value from it in a few minutes. But it's God, when you come to Christ, He puts His Spirit inside of you and He begins to work. And He works inside of you. In fact, He changes your want to. God changes your, your, your want to when you come to Him. It changes. You say, well, why do I sin? Because you submit to temptation. You can resist. That's, in fact, that's with the new nature. That's the first thing. But we kind of reject that and we kind of lean into temptation. You can make a conscience choice to disobey. But God says that's not the default with the new nature. He works inside of us and helps us as we follow Him. So, the why is Jesus. The what is to work out our salvation. Now, there's there's one thing 
Paul says, in working out your salvation, there is one thing that will cause you to stand out like stars in the perverse and corrupt generation that you're a part of. And here it is. It turns up the contrast. Verse 14. He says, do everything without complaining. Circle everything. Let's just pause there. Do everything. Say that together with me. Do everything. I love the emphasis. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day that Christ day of Christ that I did not run uh, or labor for nothing. So what will make you look like a star, a bright star? Don't complain. That's it. Here's the problem. Complaining second nature, isn't it? I can put up with anything if I can complain about it. I can put, put up with a long line at the grocery store. I can put, put up with incompetent people. I can put up with anything if I can complain about it. Would you agree with me? Almost every conversation that you overhear at Barnes & Noble, Starbucks, in the grocery store, at the place where they cut your hair, almost every conversation is somebody complaining about somebody else or something. Think about it. I mean, they are. <laughs> it makes, complaining is a huge killjoy. And we're talking about joy here. It's the book of joy. It's a huge killjoy. It makes you unhappy. It makes everybody around you unhappy. It's a hard habit to break. But Paul says, if you break this one, you'll stand out like stars. This is the one area I want you to work out your salvation in. So how do you do it? How do you, how do you become a star? Let me give you three real quick things uh, here kind of at the end of what I want to talk about. If you're going to break the habit of complaining, first thing you've got to do is own your own sin. Own your own sin. You've got to admit that you have a problem. You've got to say, you know what? I'm a complainer. Would you say that together with me? I'm a complainer. You're saying it for somebody else, I know. But you've got to admit that you are a complainer. And this, you know... Just about everybody, every one of us does it, but it's not acceptable. It's not to be a part of the lifestyle of a radical, true follower of Christ. This is the new normal. No complaining. You've got to admit, I'm a complainer. There are all kinds of complainers. Some people are just whiny. Do you know anybody that's just whiny? It's not fair. I don't deserve this. Everybody else gets all the breaks. Wine, 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 wine. Some people are martyrs. I do so much and nobody ever appreciates me. It's complaining. It's complaining. They love a good pity party. Let me ask you, what happens when you don't get your own way? Huh? At home? You cop an attitude at work? Are you kind of whiny or martyr? No, oh, they just don't appreciate me. Okay? Some people are cynical. You know, nothing ever changes around here. You know what that is? That's complaining. It's just with a whole kind of a different slant. Some people are perfectionists when they complain. You see this in parents or spouses? 
Is that the best you can do? You know, you know what that is? That's complaining. That's saying that's not enough. So, so if if your spouse leaves their clothes around and they're trying to make a better, you, you need to just you know get creative about complimenting the fact that the pile is not as big as it used to be. <laughs> rather than rather than is that the best you can do? With all I do around here, and you, and so we kind of mix the martyr with the perfectionist, and we really get our complaint on. Okay, so you got to own it. Why? Proverbs twenty-eight verse thirteen says, "A man who refuses to admit his mistakes, or a woman, can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he or she gets another chance." You say, "Well, I really don't complain that much." We've got a blooper file around here that not very many people see. And one weekend, I said a word, or allegedly I said a word. In the me- we have a message planning meeting on Monday where we kind of review, you know, the weekend and then talk about next week. And they said, I can't believe you said that. I said, well, I didn't say it. I, really, I thought I didn't say it. They said, no, you said it. I said, I did not say it. Now, unfortunately, everything's taped here. And so the video department put together a remix. You know what a remix is? It's when they kind of, you know, it's kind of like scratch with a record remix. Well, they brought in the word that I thought I didn't say and played it over and over and over and over again. I went, oh, I said it, but I didn't mean to. But until I owned it, I couldn't make improvement. What? What if somebody followed you around with a recorder of some kind? How much of your conversation is about griping and complaining and life stinks and this person's incompetent and yada, yada? How much of it? You know, just go back and look at your last month's Facebook posts. You know, I think when we stand before God, God's going to bring our Twitter account up. (laughs) He's going to say, really? Here it is. Admit and confess. Complaining is not just a bad habit. It's sin. He says admit and confess. It's sin. Sin separates us from God. Separates us from other people. Doesn't allow us to shine like God would have us to do. So you need to confess it. It needs to be confessed of it. So at the end of this service, wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to go to a cross and put it on the cross and say, God, I admit it. Help me. There are going to be so many people doing it. Some of you are going to complain at the cross because there isn't any room for you to put a thumbtack in a little piece of paper. God's watching and so is our video team. Do you know what? Complaining is what kept a whole generation of people out of the promised land. Listen to this. Paul says, if you will not complain, you will shine like a star... Among what? A, a, a crooked and perverse generation. Did you know that that is a direct quote of Deuteronomy 32 and verse 5? When Moses refers to not the enemy, he refers to the people of God, Israel, as a crooked and perverse generation because they complained and complained and complained. This is serious stuff. So I'm asking God this weekend, I've been asking me, God for me, asking God for this church, that we would see complaining as what it is. And you've got to admit to it. Second thing you've got to do is learn to say thanks. 
Learn to say thanks. Great verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Circle all. It doesn't say thank God for all. It says thank God in all circumstances. You can't be thankful for all circumstances. Maybe you had a devastating thing happen in your family. Well, I thank God for that. Mm, that's weird. You can thank God in it because you know that God is at work even in the bad things to turn them around for your good. Before you know there's a problem, God is at work on a solution. So I can thank God in it. I can look for signs of His presence. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Here's what he's saying. He's saying your problems, and <laughs> the light and momentary are things like him being beaten and left for dead, shipwrecked and nearly drowned, bitten by a poisonous snake, thrown into prison for years at a time. He calls those things light and momentary. And he says, here's the truth. Your problems come and your problems go. The good that you get out of them far outlasts the problem. And positive people realize that God, even when circumstances are bad, God is ultimately in control. And so learning to say thanks develops an attitude of gratitude. When we complain... We're being ungrateful. In fact, at its root, complaining is rebellion against God. When you complain about something, here's what you're saying. You're saying, if I was God, things would be different around here. If I was God, God would treat me differently if I was God. It's rebellion. There are some things in life and marriage and business and, and in yourself that you're not satisfied with. I understand that. But there are things that you can learn to be thankful for in the midst of wherever you are. Christians are supposed to be different. We're supposed to shine like stars, stand out in a crowd. Do you stand out in a crowd because of your lack of complaining? Do you? Or do you fit in? Are you like this, this star that's so bright, the contrast is so different between you and everybody else in the group or in the family or in the workplace or wherever it happens to be? Or are you just about like everybody else? Learn to say thanks. And here's the third thing you can do if you're going to overcome this habit of complaining, and that's just stay positive. Stay positive. I was talking to a friend about the fast that we recently came off of. He just volunteered this. He said, you know what? I, I, this year I didn't fast food. Now, as I'm hungry as all get out, I'm going, really? You didn't fast food? I said, no. He's, I said, well, what did you fast? He said, I fasted negativity. I went, wow. Tell me about that. How'd that work for you, in the words of Dr. Phil? He said, great. He said, I've got to be honest with you, over the last 21 days or whatever, I feel better about life right now than I've felt in a long time long time that's cool fasted negativity now if you're going to break a bad habit you've got to replace it with something positive and so what do you replace complaining with positive words ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 let's read it out loud do not let hang on the people at the campuses need to read it out loud too okay we're ready 
How'd you know? Well, I know everything. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is one of those verses that just goes right past us. Oh, that's not possible. No, it's expected. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is helpful, positive stuff for building others up according to their need. That's called verbal discipline. So you replace complaining and criticism with compliments. And so what's the results of refusing to complain? Back to verse 15, that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars. Blameless. When you don't complain, nobody can accuse you without fault. The Greek word there means having integrity. When you don't complain, when you speak positively of a situation, then you have integrity. And you're to shine like stars. When you find a person that's positive, they stick out like a sore thumb. For, for example, I watch American Idol. Anybody else watch American Idol? I was watching some of the stuff. And a couple of weeks ago, a guy came on. I don't even know where he was from. But uh, he came on, had an incredible voice, but the, the backstory was the big deal. He was singing for his fiance. Did you see that one? His fiance had gotten severely injured. She was a totally different person than she was before in a car wreck. And, uh, and they, they asked him, you know, about the story a little bit. And he said that she had her car wreck two weeks before they were to tie the knot and they were to make the commitment. They said, well, so how did that impact you? And he said, well, I've committed to be her caretaker because uh, he said uh, in two weeks I was going to say in sickness and in health until death do us part. So what does two weeks make a difference? And then he said, what kind of a guy would I be if I walked away from her when she needed me the most? And you know what my answer to that was? You'd be a normal guy. And everybody would understand right? But because he didn't, I was starstruck. Everybody was. You just don't find people like that. That's what this verse is talking about. He said, be different. Let's be a community that leaves people starstruck. Let's be a community that refuses to complain. Based on what Jesus did, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're bringing forward the good things that God has planted in us. We're refusing to complain. We're not put down people. We're people with a positive attitude. And because we've got a positive attitude, it's a great witness to everybody around just this past week, I went back to Birmingham. In fact, on first Wednesday, I spoke at Church of the Highlands in Birmingham. And it was a special night to honor Billy Hornsby. Billy was on staff here with us, came. We started the ark together, moved to Birmingham. We moved the offices there. Part of it was because Billy's family was there. Charlene uh, has uh, cancer. Well, Billy contracted uh, cancer, uh, melanoma, and... Uh, it has totally consumed his brain at this point. Um, his, his eyes are crossed, um, has trouble c- uh, communicating, and the doctors say he has days maybe at the most weeks to live. And so I, I spoke, and uh, we kind of tried to surprise him a little bit. 
And uh, I just kind of honored him, talked about our relationship. And then he came out and he sat down. You ought to go on my Facebook account and click the link to, I left the link there. You, you got to watch this. It's just incredible. As Billy talked to us about what it's like to die as a believer. And he said, I want to tell you something. There is no fear in death when you're a believer. I sat with him in various meetings for hours and listened to him not complain once. And he's in incredible pain. He's got all kinds of things going on. And rather than complain, all he could talk about was how good God was. And the fact that in the worst possible situation that everybody fears, he says, you guys need to go. You preach and you tell your congregations that the gospel is true. That in the moment of death, there is no fear. He shone like a star. I want to be like that. See, complaining isn't about... Uh, ignoring the hard places in life. It's focusing on the truth, not necessarily the facts. Remember week one. That's the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness depends on the facts. Joy depends on the truth. What if our whole church did that? What if we took a non-complaining vow? What if people would say, Seacoast is a positive place. You never hear any complaining or grumbling there. They are characterized by love and unity and harmony. Do you think that would be attractive? Do you? You know, we could save a ton of money on outreach events that most churches have. Put all kind of money in outreach events. Tell you what, all we'd have to do is quit complaining. Everybody totally never complained. And the outreach and inflow would be incredible. What happened to... What would happen in your business if all of a sudden the complaining just stopped like that? You think that would make a difference? What would happen in your family? Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His purposes. How do you know God is at work in your life? One of the ways you know is because you aren't complaining. Check your attitude. Let's make a commitment to Him, okay? Let's bow for closing prayer. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would take kind of my stumbling efforts to teach a timeless truth and you would implant it in our hearts. God, that we would be a people who don't just look at the word, but we act the word. I have so many friends here that do that, that are just amazing to me, that are so far ahead of me. Lord, I want to confess my complaining. Show me how to have an attitude of gratitude to look for thankfulness in every situation. God, I pray that you would uh, just really, uh, in, in our few moments together here, that there would be a sense of honesty and a desire to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.